When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. McFarlane, everybody, McFarlane, welcome once again, and welcome to another version of Metric Man Rant, and this is a good one. Brian Barrett, Brian Metric Man Barrett, joins the Brad Foe Show, as he's been doing all week long, jumping on in, giving the passion, and most importantly, the numbers to back up the passion. He's got it all, and today, ooh, it's a doozy. He is not happy. Metric Man is not happy. And we are the big winners because of all of it. All right, everyone subscribe, follow, leave a nice review, all of it for the Bradfoe Show. You also should listen to the Nick Punto interview with myself, Courtney Finnecum, and Coop. Uh, Nick Punto, who has been deemed now our trade deadline correspondent because, you know why? Because he was part of one of the biggest trade deadlines trades of all time. He knows what's what, and he also has some good Pedroia stories. So you should listen to this after you listen to the Metric Man rant away. Here you go. All right. Well, the night started off great. David Ortiz was honored. He came back from Cooperstown. But after that, the night was pretty much ugly. And we've seen a lot of these games from the Red Sox recently. And in particular, we've seen a ton of bad outings from the starting pitchers. And last night was pretty much more of the same with Josh Winkowski on the mound. Winkowski has been really bad lately. And I go back to what he said after the Yankees game, where he came out there and he said, this was just another major league lineup to him. This was after he, of course, lost to the Yankees. And that Yankees team did not have Aaron Judge and they did not have Anthony Rizzo in the lineup. That's why he makes that comment. But here was my problem with that. In that game, Winkowski walked five Yankees and he had just three swings and misses. It's very difficult for any pitcher in Major League Baseball that's starting a game to have more walks than swings and misses. And this guy had the audacity to come out after the game and actually make a comment like that. Grow up. That is an unprofessional comment. And the outing last night, quite frankly, was unprofessional. I was high on this guy because he was getting a ton of ground balls, but he's not doing that anymore. And he can't miss bats. It's just been a problem for him. And last night... I felt like he made some very odd decisions as it pertains to his pitch selection. You go into the first inning of the game when the Guardians took that one to nothing lead. He throws Miller, a right-handed hitter, a changeup. Why would you do that? It makes no sense. First of all, that pitch has been atrocious for Winkowski. He came into last night, <laughs> opponents hitting 417 against the changeup. You're throwing it to a righty? Why would you do that? It makes no sense to me whatsoever. You go to the third inning of this game. He got ahead of Naylor 1-2, and he can't put him away. Eventually, he doubles on a slider that was a cement mixer middle-middle. It's a bad pitch. He wasn't ready to go. And I get he's coming back from COVID and all that, but you got to be ready to pitch at the big league level. Miller then hits a ball right back at Winkowski, and he threw him another changeup after he'd already hit a changeup. I don't know why he did that. Then he hits Jimenez on an 0-2 slider. It's an 0-2 pitch. You cannot be putting a guy on base after you get in front 0-2. You can't do that. And Winkowski did it. He had no command whatsoever. And then Nolan Jones basically ended the Red Sox by homering on a four-seamer that was up in the zone, 91 miles an hour up in the zone to a major league hitter. I don't care if the Guardians don't hit for power. You can't throw a 91-mile-an-hour four-seamer up in the zone to a major league hitter. Ain't going to happen. That makes it a 5 to nothing game. And you look at this game, Winkowski. He got 32 swings, one whiff. Think about that. That is nearly impossible to do. 
He got one whiff on 32 swings. That is unbelievable. You look at him now over his last three, 108 swings, just 11 whiffs. That's 10.2%. The guy that is last in the sport is about 17% as it pertains to qualified starters. He's at 10.2% over his last three. And here's the other factor. He's getting hit hard. Last night, 15 batted balls, eight of them were hard hit. He was barreled up three times. And now you look at it over the last three, nine ERA. He has just a 3% swinging strike rate. So that's a little bit different than the whiff. It's just the percentage of his pitches that are actually swinging strikes. 3% is, again, almost impossible. Adam Wainwright is last on the season among qualified starters at 6.5%. Winkowski's at 3% over his last three games. He gets no swings and misses. And as we mentioned, he's given up rockets. His last 50 batted balls, 25 have been hard hit. That's, of course, 50% as it pertains to his hard hit rate. Absolutely atrocious. And then you look at it in terms of the season. Pavetta's last in Major League Baseball at just over 47%. And this guy's over 50% over his last three outings. Seven barrels, that's 14%, which is just, it's way too much. So and on the season, the guy that's highest is barely at 12%. He's at 14%. I mean, these are really, really bad numbers as it pertains to Josh Winkowski. And you just wonder, is he ever going to get swings and misses? Because he hasn't done it. Even when he was pitching well, he's not been able to do it. And you're going to need something to get a guy to miss on because you cannot put a guy's away with one, two counts, oh, two counts. He just has not been able to do it. And this is sort of a summary of the Red Sox starters right now. Last 25 games, they're 7 and 18 are the Red Sox, and the starters have been by far the worst in the sport. And look, all of these things have happened at the same time. The Pavetta slide, now he was better on Monday night. The Evaldi injury, the Waka injury, the Hill injury, and the Sale injury. Now, Evaldi's back. He was not good last time out. He's going to get the ball tonight. And then the other thing is, so your veterans have been hurt. Pavetta was not good and worn down. Bayo has been bad. Winkowski has been downright atrocious. And Siebold was scared to pitch against the New York Yankees, and now he's injured. So all those things have happened at once. The results, it's ugly. A 7.80 ERA over their last 25. That's 30th in baseball in terms of the Red Sox starters. The Nationals are 29th at 5.90. The Red Sox are at 7.80. 181 whip, that is 30th in Major League Baseball. The Nationals are 29th at 1.55. <laughs> the Red Sox opponent's batting average over the last 25 from the starters is 319. That's 30th. The Nationals are 20th at 285. And they're walking more people than anybody else. 9.8% walk rate, which is last. So they're walking everybody and they're giving up rockets all over the place. It's just a horrible combination for this Red Sox team right now with the starting rotation. And you felt like, okay, there was this whole idea that the Red Sox finally had some depth at the minor league level in terms of their starters, and Bayo was going to have an impact, and Winkowski could have an impact. Maybe Seabold would have an impact. Look, maybe these guys work out down the road, although I'm not high on Seabold whatsoever. But anyway, I think the stuff is mediocre. I don't think that guy's going to be good. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But anyway, my overwhelming point is this. You felt like, okay, 
Maybe these young kids can hold it down for a little bit. No, you don't have any depth at the minor league system for right now. For right now, for the major league team, that idea that this team had depth entering the season and you could bring up some of these kids, no. They're not good enough to pitch right now at the major league level. That's just the reality of it. The other thing I wanted to mention real briefly here is just sort of looking at Winkowski and thinking about back to that trade where the Red Sox moved on from Andrew Benintendi after, of course, the COVID year in 2020. And look, I'm not telling you I was the biggest Andrew Benintendi fan in the world. I felt like his plan entering the 2019 season made no sense because 18, he was really good for this team. Of course, remember, made that unbelievable catch. And he bulked up and he just was not the same athlete. He was not as good in the field that particular season. He wanted to hit home runs and it actually worked in the opposite direction. He hit less home runs. So I understand there were issues with Benintendi. But he was basically the value was added to Nadir with the player. Benintendi was injured in 2020 and he was not good in 19. So when they moved on from him, it felt like, what did you think you were going to get in return? And you look at Benintendi This year, he's hitting 321, and he has a 13.5 strikeout percentage. Both those numbers are really good. Franchi Cordero is at 218, who is, of course, in that deal, and he's striking out 32% of the time. Now, I understand that we have to wait on some of these young guys to totally evaluate the trade. But if you're moving on from Benintendi, who was part of this core, you have to do something that helps this group of players over two years, or else you're just subtracting. I get you add other players, but you got nothing really in return that helped this core group in 2021 or 2022. Winkowski, 0.0 fan graphs war since he started with the Red Sox. Andrew Benintendi's at 4.0 wins above replacement over the past two seasons. I'm not telling you that's one of the best in the sport, but he's Four wins above replacement, Winkowski's at 0.0, and Franchi's at negative 0.8. So do the aggregate on that. The Red Sox lost 4.8 wins above replacement if you do the difference between the two. So I just don't understand the whole idea of, like, why wouldn't you help this core group of guys? If you're going to move on from Benintendi, shouldn't you help this group? And why did you move them at the time you did? Look at what's going to happen now. Whoever trades for him, the Royals are going to get more back because the guy's hitting 321 and teams want a guy that can hit from the left side and hit for average. They're going to get that in Benintendi. The Red Sox traded away a distressed asset. It makes no sense to me whatsoever, the timing of the trade. It just wasn't good enough. And you start to think about this stuff with Heim Bloom. It's sort of a theme in terms of the big guys. Think about Mookie. You look at the guys that were traded for Mookie since Mookie was traded. Mookie is 10.1 fan graphs war. Verdugo's 4.2, Wong 0.2, Downs, who has barely played, is somehow negative 0.3. That's how bad he's been in a short stint in Major League Baseball. So that's a six wins above replacement difference. So add that up. That's 10.8 wins above replacement in terms of the difference in these two trades in terms of what they've meant to this big league team. Now, I get it. You have to wait to fully evaluate the trade. I totally understand that. But I felt like this group, was good enough after 19, they had an off year to go at it and try to win at a high level. And for whatever reason, Heimblum just wanted to subtract from the major league team. They have not been trying to win over the past couple of years. And it feels like last year they sort of won accidentally from the front office's perspective. The players were so good. The manager was so good that at the deadline you had to do something and you almost copped out of that. You traded for Hansel Robles. Great, it worked out. But nobody thought that was a great move at the time. And then the Schwarber situation. And by the way, the front office didn't think Robles was going to be that good. Stop. They did not think he was going to turn into the guy he was in the second half of the season. I will not accept that as a thought process. Come on. And then the other portion of the equation is Schwarber. So the only reason Schwarber was here, we all know, right? Because he was hurt. 
If Schwarber's healthy at the trading deadline, he had the most home runs in Major League Baseball in June. Other contenders are going to outbid the Red Sox because they're going to give up better prospects. Bloom would not do that. All Bloom gave up was the 18th prospect in his organization for Kyle Schwarber. That move never happens if Schwarber isn't hurt. Bottom line, it wouldn't. So they even sort of half-assed that, and the manager of the team got you into the postseason because the manager is taking Pavetta out of the starting rotation and putting him in the bullpen at times during that run at the end of the season where he's the one that had the walk-off curveball to Juan Soto to clinch the spot for the Red Sox. Houck is in the bullpen, then he's starting, then he's back in the bullpen because the Red Sox bullpen was not nearly deep enough at that particular point in time. The reason you made the playoffs that year was not because of the moves Bloom made. It's what the manager and it's what the players did. And it felt like entering this season... There wasn't an emphasis on winning in 2022, which I just cannot wrap my head around because this team was up to one of the Houston Astros in the ALCS, and you didn't really want to help them too much as it pertains to giving them guys right now, which I just cannot wrap my head around. And I think it's malpractice from a front office perspective that we continue to look at a hole at first base. We continue to look at a hole in the bullpen. These guys are champions, and they have not been given a fair opportunity to try to win another World Series, which to me is just completely unfair to these guys. The Major League roster has not been nearly good enough this season, and that is on the front office. I have no idea why they didn't want to win this way. I don't understand why they didn't want to win with this group. The other thing is, too, you look at these injuries, how much it's really affected this Red Sox lineup. So I'm not telling you that seven through nine hitters are always productive, and in particular with this Red Sox team. But the Red Sox, they were not atrocious for the majority of this season. You look at it, May to the end of June, 249 that's 13th in baseball, 312 on base percentage, 12th, 695 OPS, that's 13th, and a 21% strikeout rate, that's 8th. So, okay, that's not bad, right? You look at the Red Sox in terms of in the month of June and what, uh, in July rather, and what these guys have done in terms of the seven and the nine hitters, and part of the reason for the slide is pretty simple. All these guys that are injured, the guys that were hitting in the back of the lineup got moved up a little bit, and now you have guys like, at times, Jeter Downs back there. You have guys like Sanchez who played last night back there. And if you look at the results, July, they're hitting 189, seven through nine hitters. That's 29th. 255 on base percentage. That's 29th. 581 OPS, 29th. 33.3% strikeout rate. That's 29th. So 29th, 29th, 29th in all these statistical categories. And you do wonder, like part of it too, Christian Arroyo should be playing for Trevor Story last night, but Arroyo got hurt before Story. And Arroyo's been this guy that is supposed to be a utility guy. He's always hurt. How can you depend on him? That's a roster-building situation where you identify Arroyo as a utility guy. You can't have a utility guy that is always hurt. And that's exactly what he is right now. The guy is always hurt. And this is not meant to be an indictment on Arroyo, but how can he be your utility guy? And then Jeter Downs, who you'd like to be that guy, the young prospect that was involved in the Mookie Betts trade, you're playing Sanchez over the guy last night because, quite frankly, Jeter Downs just is not a good player right now. So this is where the Red Sox are at, and it's unfortunate right now to see what's going to happen at this trading deadline. I do wonder, though, about what the return would be for some of these guys based on what we've seen with the Mookie trade and what we've seen with the Andrew Benintendi trade. That does make me a little bit cautious. The other thing with Bogarts is I'm trying to figure out the Red Sox plan with this. So Xander Bogarts was offered a fake contract we know before the season, the one extra year at 30 mil. So if he signed that contract, he would be making less money on an annual basis than Trevor Story. So the only logical conclusion that anyone can garner from that, Bloom doesn't want Bogarts long-term. Okay, so let's just have that established. I disagree with that. I'd like Bogarts to stick around here. But let's just go with that as 
the precursor. Heimblum doesn't want Bogarts based on what he offered him. We can draw that conclusion. Okay, so if the Red Sox do decide to sell and they're going to move on from some of the players, the J.D. Martinez's of the world, the Evaldi's, the impending free agents, from a baseball perspective, why would you not be trading Bogarts? Because Sam Kennedy and Heimblum yesterday said there's no plan to trade him. So I just don't understand that from a baseball perspective because Heimblum clearly has not emphasized the 2021 or the 2022 Red Sox. He didn't try to build a winner with those teams. He didn't. You cannot argue to the opposite way of that. Now, he made some moves when he needed to, but he did not go all in trying to win with this core. So from a baseball idea, his whole thing is about long-term stability. Well, how is long-term stability going to the end of the season and letting Bogarts walk because we know you're not signing him. So he opts out of the contract he signs somewhere else. How is that what's in the best interest of this team long-term? So I feel like that is a completely conflicting ideology, the one that Bloom and Sam Kennedy are putting out there yesterday, that they're not trading Bogarts at the deadline. Now, look, maybe they're just saying this at the time because if they do say, hey, yeah, we'll field offers on Bogarts, then it becomes a major storyline here. It becomes a headache for them because everybody's talking about it. So maybe that's part of the calculus. But if they don't move on from Bogarts, I would like to know from a long-term stability perspective, didn't Bloom kind of conflict his ethos here in terms of what his original plan was? Oh man, it's going to be an interesting couple of days for the Sox.